Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our new series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Identity Theft Series. You're about to go on an adventure. An adventure that will shake your foundation, mess with your humanness, rock your theological world, lock in your identity in Christ, and take you to the depths of God's DNA. So you guys ready? I say let's do this. Identity is the door to your earthly destiny. And for some, their eternal destiny. Identity is the key to decisions that you made today and that you're going to make tomorrow. In fact, it'll be the key of the decisions that you make until you pass from this life to the next whatever that life is. It also determines the actions that you will carry out and ultimately what this does, it literally confesses who you believe your God truly is. So here is our challenge. There are so many of us that basically believe what we say. And so therefore our decisions every day tend not to match that. So we really do have to ask ourselves the question, what's the problem here? What's going on? What's happening to us? Now there is no one out there that I'm aware of that this does not affect on a daily basis. That their identity does not get stolen in a given moment. And that in that given moment that their identity is stolen, the enemy kind of moves in because he understands the fact that a decision is about to be made. And he understands that from that decision, a lot of times actions are carried out. But here's the deal. Because with those decisions comes lots of ramifications. Well, we have lots of answers today. Hopefully very encouraging ones. This is 134 in our identity series. But this is number two in our identity theft new series we have just started. Those of you who are listening online, I really want to encourage you to just stop for a moment. Hit the pause button. Go over, scroll down, you'll see it right there. It'll say PDF. 
If you click on that PDF, the slides that we're teaching from and looking at right now will actually pop up on your phone or computer. And then restart the audio. I would even print these off if you can get to a computer and a printer. These diagrams that we're going to be covering tonight regarding identity is in the seed is really, really important for you to have the reference to what it is that we are discussing. And when this identity theft, whether it is in the category of someone has stolen your human identity so that they can get a credit card or buy a car or whatever the case may be. When we were in Phoenix, I got this call from our bank. And the bank asked me if I recently bought a car. And I said, no. So the bank said, did your wife just buy a car? And I said, no. And she says, we have a problem. You need to get down to the bank right away. We went to the bank, and even while we were sitting there talking to the banker, Another alert came in and they bought a stereo system at Best Buy while we're sitting there. So now we got a car bought in a stereo system and they said there were other charges out there that they're investigating. Of course, they did what they do best and they closed off the account and pretty much protected us and assured us that we would not have to pay for these items. But it happens. Every day, all day long to somebody. Well, the same thing is true about our spiritual identity being stolen. Satan has made charges against you. Thoughts and actions that you have not even a clue of where they came from. And he has taken these thoughts and actions before the living God and accused you of them. But here's, here's the little twist. You see, he has to deceive you into thinking it is you because it came from you. And that's when the person is buried in shame. Shame will accomplish nothing but make you run behind the bush. Remember when Adam was in the garden and God came into the garden in the cool of the day? And he simply calls out to Adam and says, Adam, where art thou? Of course, that's King James. I'm sure God speaks in King James. And why art thou hiding? And that's where this whole thing starts to unfold is that God was not panicked. He didn't send some angel or himself or anyone from the Trinity to rush in and stop Adam and Eve from choosing to make a decision that was going to alter the identity of every human until the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
you talk about ramifications of a decision. And of course, he doesn't take ownership of it. He says, the woman which thou hast given me. He blames God, not the woman. So then he talks to the woman. Of course, she wasn't going to take responsibility for this. And she said, the serpent deceived me. Yes, the serpent did deceive you. Now I'm going to show you some very, very powerful principles. There's always been this theological wonder. Sin does not travel through a woman. It travels through a man. So why did Satan go after the woman first? And since Jesus Christ himself said... Because of the seed of Adam, all have sinned. There's something about the seed we have to talk about and look at very carefully. And I'm going to show you something that will probably shake your theological foundation a bit. But even theologian types that I've had talks with about this said, all I can tell you is I have never put those pieces together. It's very simple. How could Jesus be born of a woman who came down through the generations of sin? And how could Jesus grow within her womb and be birthed and be born without sin? How is this possible? The DNA that started the conception process of Jesus was the DNA of the living God delivered by the Holy Spirit inside Mary. Her blood never mixed with this baby. This baby grew and was birthed and was born without sin. Later Jesus said that Because of Adam's seed, sin spread to all of mankind. Why don't we put the two pieces together? No, what we do is we form a special religion to make Mary holy. To make Mary in the same condition and position of not having sin in her mortal body because she had to carry God. So therefore that made her the mother of God. So therefore she is a part of that religion that you have to deal with Mary in your religion in order to have sanctification. That's how they did it. Whether you're of that religion or not, I am going to very plainly tell you right now. If you are of that religion, get out of it now. Jesus was born from a sinful body. But anyone who understands science enough, particularly in pregnancies, you know that I am telling you absolute truth when I say this. The mother's blood never mixes with The child. 
There is a special place that God has created in His creation for that child to live and develop in complete protection within that woman as she carries that child. But the question that has to be asked, whose seed was it? See, I can say that Jesus was perfect and was born in human flesh because she had human flesh and God used his own creation of human flesh. Keep in mind here in the Hebrew, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh was not talking about Adam and Eve. It was talking about God creating Adam and Eve from his own fibers his own life, his own seed of the tree of life, thus making them not two, but one flesh. That's pretty good stuff. You see, their actual physical flesh was completely different than Jesus' physical flesh. Jesus' physical flesh literally was put together in a sinful body. He had physical flaws. Do you understand that? I don't think he was very good looking, from what I understand. He was unbecoming in appearance. I think that's called, in the Latin, ugly. So he was not pleasant to look at. That is another quote, unquote. So you weren't looking into this gorgeous, perfect-looking, angelic figure. He bore the flesh of man and the weaknesses. He felt pain. He felt sorrow. He felt agony. He, He felt owies when he stubbed his toe. But when we look at Adam and Eve, before the fall, That body, you won't get to see again until you get to heaven. Because that is what your new body is going to look like. There was nothing wrong with God's design and creation of Adam and Eve. Nothing. Not one thing. Not their hair. Not their skin. Not their their organs. Nothing. Nothing. There was nothing wrong with them. I want to ask you a question at 602. 292. 2982. If Adam and Eve would not have eaten the seeds, which is how Hebrew explains it, inside that fruit, what would have happened to Adam and Eve? They never would have died. Ever. They'd be still alive today. Come on in, Adam and Eve. Have a seat. 6,000 years later. They would not die. You see, that's what God said. If you eat the seeds from that tree, you shall surely Not surely that's going to die. Of course, she would too. 
but you shall surely die. Now, here's another question. Stay with me on this. What if Eve, which she was, deceived, and she fell, and this seed that was inside this fruit was so incredibly damned? Do you get that? The seed inside of whatever that fruit was, was damned. And as that damned seed got into her body, she became damned. Condemned. Broken. Now, she takes her, her little fruit over to Adam. Stay with me on this. Do you understand the number one primary responsibility that Eve had? It wasn't tending to the garden. I don't know where you folks are getting that. Don't feed me that anymore. Her job was not to tend to the garden. Her job was something else. What was it? Tending to her husband. Now, Adam has no concept of damned seeds. None. There's no deception going on here with Adam. None. Eve has got this damnation in her now. And she's like, the very first one that coined the phrase, misery... Love's company. I'm not going about this alone here. So she takes this fruit, whatever it is, and she comes over and, and, and presents it to her husband. Why should he question her? Why wouldn't he take fruit? He, he, he did it all day long. There was no deception going on with Adam in him. The deception was coming from Eve because the deception came from the identity theft. Thief. So he takes and he eats. I know that I know that when I get to heaven and I'm blessed with the little discussion I would love to have with Adam... I know that I know that the answers are going to be already, you know, available. But I'm going to understand a piece, a link of identity theft that was so incredibly deceptive on Satan's part. And to have the question, the, the generational question of why Eve first. Well, I'm going to show you tonight. Better open up that PDF because you're going to need it as we dive into this. Here's our scripture for today. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 8 through 11. 
I want to point out some of the highlights in that passage. Solomon says, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. What were those words that Jesus used? Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Heavy laden comes from a Hebrew pictorial. It is an ox. And what does the Hebrew word picture ox stand for? First leader. It's where we get head of home, head of synagogue, head of the world, is the ox. And on that ox are these are these bags, so to speak, where you would put stuff in it so the ox could carry things that you could not carry or didn't want to carry. That made that ox laden with that weight. So here Christ is saying, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and your yoke is not. This is where we have to start. Man cannot discern what would be wearisome to him. It's impossible. Why do you find yourself in these moments in your day or months of your life and some people it's even years where they just get up every single day and everything is wearisome? Everything is just a huge burden. No one in their sane mind would walk into a burden and say, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that one and that one. Yeah, those three over there, bring them over here, stick them on my back. And that's a fool. So when you get yourself in these situations, you got to understand the wisdom that God gave Solomon. The statement that he's making here is that man cannot tell what is wearisome to him. So he steps right into the identity theft trap. All day long. He also says the eye is not satisfied with what it sees. And the ears are not satisfied with what it hears. The two primary senses out of the five that Satan uses to get you to step into a wearisome burden. Man is never satisfied by what he sees or hears. Always wanting more. It's what makes our economy work. Do you understand that if all of a sudden every American became satisfied starting tomorrow morning, the entire economy would implode. You wouldn't go to your superstore and get that upgrade. You wouldn't get fancier clothes. You wouldn't get a shinier vehicle. You wouldn't get any of that. 
because you would be satisfied. The economy would implode. And if every country had its economy implode, you would literally have a missionary world where you would be giving away things that you have because someone else has a need. Do you remember the Acts Church? They were selling their houses to take care of people who were hungry or didn't have any kind of a structure to live in. That is called being satisfied. It moves you into a giving flow instantly. Well, if the whole world went into that, you would have a place called the New Earth. It's not going to happen. Solomon was right. He's saying here, there's nothing new coming at you. Nothing. There's nothing new under the sun. These temptations are not new. He's basically saying that Satan is predictable. But for some reason at 602... 292, 2982, we just simply walk into his traps every day, all day long. What's the problem here? We even understand that logically. It's kind of like someone saying, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I know that Jesus is the answer. I know that Jesus and his identity is my identity. I can, I've written several books about it. And still walk into the trap. What's the problem here? Uh, definitely worth looking into. He also said there is no remembrance. Listen to this very carefully, listener. There is no remembrance of earlier things. And also the later things which will occur. There will be for them... No remembrance among those who will come later still. He's speaking to us in this room. You see, you can actually get excited about your identity in Christ. You can be fulfilled because of what you've discovered about your identity in Christ. You could be so excited that you actually move your hands and feet in worship. If you can imagine that. You could dance before the Lord like David did. Then why a few days later he is seeing Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof and he arranges a murder so he can have her There's a problem here. For someone who's called the apple of God's eye to do something like that. The two worst sins that there are. Yes, I know that sin is sin. But if you want to add up the ramifications of sins, adultery and murder carry the biggest share. And he did both in a night. There's a problem here. Someone please tell me where Jesus came from. 
David and Bathsheba. You talk about redemption. Why would God be so specific that his own son would be used by a womb that suffers deception? That literally can be tracked and was tracked back to David and Bathsheba? After they got married, of course. That is an amazing God. That is a redeeming God. That is a God that can say, I can take what has been twisted, tormented, self-destructed, or murdered, and turn it into the greatest blessing of all eternity. You know, if I was, if I was God, honestly, I mean, can you imagine me being God? No. But if I was God, I probably would have picked Abigail and David. That's probably who I would have picked. Looks like a good match right there, Lord. No. He takes the relationship from murder and adultery. A redeeming God. There is a problem, folks. Sin has a very bad memory. And God gives us these beautiful stories all the way through the ages and we read them and we get excited about it and some of us even take notes. Some of us even write books about them. The writing of books is endless and even though we're starting another one, Identity Theft, which I am so incredibly excited about, it's just another book. But see, people are addicted to books. They're addicted to humanoids looking in their face saying, here's what you need to do. Instead of looking to the life within them of Christ saying, here's what I'm going to do through you. Read a book. No, he probably won't say that. But he does use books or workbooks, or songs, or your friends talking to you, or your pastor. Because he understands that mankind has a very bad memory. Not just with sin, but they have a very bad memory of understanding redemption. So every day the Lord has asked me to send this young man a simple text to say, Good morning, my redeemed son. Because he is like a son to me. All the responses come out of the shame. All of mine need to come out of redemption. You see, when God renamed me, now almost ten years ago, what did he end up renaming me? Stephen the Redeemed. Well, what do you think I would suffer with if en- if the enemy was to come in as an identity thief? What do you think he would use to combat a name that God gave me and refers to me in prayer time? When I am working at my computer 
on an article or whatever it is that I'm working on and I hear that still small voice in the back of my mind or front of my mind or whatever call out to my name. He says, Stephen, my redeemed. Do you not hear him at 602? Then maybe you don't know him. Do you have to listen to the voice of a humanoid when he's right there to love on you, to rename you, to give you his best of who he is? Because your best is never good enough. No, I'm going to go read a book. I, I, I'll get with you on that. I'm going to go devotionalize Jesus just for, just for a little while. Why? He's right here. I gave him to you. He lives inside you. He does speak. He has a voice. He has a mind. I put his mind in you, Stephen. So that you can hear his thoughts, not your thoughts, because your thoughts aren't his. And certainly his aren't yours. So we have a problem here, Stephen, my redeemed. There's a problem. Well, let's take a look at what this problem looks like. Let's ask the question, where does identity theft really start. Truly, spiritual identity theft, where, where does it start? Identity theft starts at the conception of man. Which is where sin enters into every fiber inside that human body. So when that child is born, every cell in their body Stay with me, please. It's damned. There's not one cell, not one hair on your, your body. There's not one thought you have. There is nothing about you when you're born that has any redemption in it. You are damned. Damned means you are going to the lake of fire for a nice, long, hot bath. You're damned. That baby you had this morning, lady, is damned. Is condemned. Is in need of a new seed. And I'm going to introduce you tonight to this new seed. Most believers believe that our enemy Satan begins his identity theft process once we become indwelt or born again, saved. Reality is there is nothing further from the truth than that. If you think that child is safe that you have in your house that you've been spending all of your time, money, and effort raising to be a quality young man, a quality young woman. If you're under this deception 
of thinking that the enemy is really not going to taunt them, stretch them, pull them, deceive them until they receive Christ. So I better get them ready for this big identity thief. I'm afraid you're the one that's been deceived. That child is already in the womb of life of deception. And Satan wants that child to be birthed into the lake of fire. We think too literally in life today. Satan starts his unholy process at conception fully knowing that all humans are born into sin. He knows that. He's the author of it. And the final product of his original act of identity, thievery. You see, this was his greatest success. He thinks he's got one more One more successful great act. And that is the battle of Armageddon. You see, he thinks there's one more coming. Why wouldn't he? Do you understand how successful he was? That you're sitting here listening, driving down the freeway, or whatever it is that you're doing. Do you understand that we are suffering what we're suffering, this problem that we have because of that one moment of success? Do you know that God had to destroy the entire world? Have you ever heard that? It's called the Great Flood. From Adam and Eve's decision. The Adam's seed went into that womb of deception and birthed these boys. And one of them was not a pleasant young man. And he rose up and killed his brother. Jealousy, envy, who knows what he was suffering with. And then it kind of went on from there. Now, if I was God, God God forbid, but if I was God, I just probably would have just took Cain out. No, he chases him off to the east and develops this, what is classified by most theologians as the very first city. For Adam, Seth, and the generation thereafter were rural people. Cain developed the first city. And the more people that were put together, it's kind of like a cancer cell. The more cancer cells get in and packed around each other, what happens? Cancer spreads until it takes the body out. That's exactly what happened to the world. Was Noah, was Adam alive when Noah was born? Yes. You might have to do a little research on that because that's a little shocking to some people. Adam had to watch destruction that the entire world got destructive and demonic and evil. 
I am not one of these pastors who believes that dinosaurs are playful memories of God's creation. I believe dinosaurs came from demons having sex with beasts. Just as the scripture tells us that demons had sex with the wives of the men. And this is where our giants came from. Yes, that's in the Bible. Adam had to watch this whole thing for 900 years. He had to see his ramifications and we want our ramifications to go away after we pray. It's not how God works. For it's ramifications that stops you from being caught in identity theft again. You see, God doesn't need memory of your sin. Because he did say that to one of our great prophets. He says, I, the Lord thy God, remember not your sin. For I have wiped it away. And I will make roadways in the wilderness. You see, God doesn't need to remember your sin. You do. Because if you didn't remember your sin, when you sin the next time, you're going to think it's your first time you sinned. Colossians 3.25 is needed for us to redeem us. Satan knew exactly what had to happen. So, this was done by stealing Eve's identity in the trinity of the us. Knowing she would pass it on to Adam and thus disconnecting the seed bearer, Adam, from the seed identity of their heavenly father. You see, Satan might be stupid, but he's brilliant. It tells us in Ezekiel exactly how perfect this being was. He was, quote-unquote, stay with me on this, perfect in knowledge, perfect in wisdom, perfect in every way. And then God went on to compare him to the finest stones of eternity, jewels. This is not some kind of knee-jerk, dense, half-retarded demon. This is a crafty, well-thought-out, well-thinking enemy that happens to be an identity thief. He knows that if he steals the identity, he'll have you forever. And those who have been born again and indwelt by Jesus, he knows he'll have you until you die. It's called, Paul said, sin unto death. He knows what he's doing. This act of stealing transferred the entire human race over to the new father. The father of lies. Well, to that I say, well done. He did a great job. 
And this is how Satan gained access to the human heart before birth. Well, you know, I just find it interesting. I first want to say publicly, I want to thank Randy Alcorn for granting us permission to have him be a part of our writing team. Some of his emails are going to start coming out on Wednesdays. We're going to hit this pro-life thing harder than we've ever hit it before. Because here's the blunt reality. This is where it starts. Not just for God, but for Satan. Why wouldn't he create such a deceptive, demonic thinking in the world that nothing really is life until it takes its first breath? Because <laughs> it would cover up his moment of identity thievery. That's what it would do. And again, I say, well done. But your day's coming, Satan. Once the child is born, he starts the daunting process of programming the sin-based body, soul, and spirit, resulting in patterns formed and available for him. There's a couple of parents listening right now. You got a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old. I want you to look into their face. I want you to look very, very carefully. Look into their eyes. Those sweet boys that you have. You love them with everything that is in you. You cuddle them, you kiss them, you hold them, you wash away their fears, you feed them, you clothe them. But I'm here to tell you that the identity thief is coming to steal them, destroy them. And if you think this generation that you just got through is bad, you have no clue what's coming tomorrow. And if you think that the identity thief is just kind of slow on the uptake, take a look at your news tonight. There's nothing slow on the uptake about Satan. Nothing. He's coming for your children. And he's coming for your grandchildren. You may already be standing victoriously. But I'll tell you what, the identity thief is laughing in your face. Because if these things could happen to you, and you're walking in redemption, how do you think, why would you think that these precious children that you love so much just might be brought to a point where they do not embrace your love anymore and become your enemy? For your children shall rise up and kill you. Who said that? Jesus. 
how could this be? There's a problem here. You enjoy being lied to by the cuddles. You enjoy being lied to by the sweet looking face looking at you. You enjoy being lied to. What is this for you? Are these children for you to make you feel better? The enemy is coming to steal them. And I don't care how strong you think you are, you're not strong enough for this guy. He's going to run the entire world real soon. He's no little guy on the block. So let's talk about just exactly how all this came to be. In the beginning, this is the original creation of God's identity. You have God, who is the original identity, always has been, is today, and always will be. He put the tree of life in the garden. And it too had fruit. And I certainly could assure you that if you ate from that fruit, you would have life. That's what it's for. It's kind of like some of you organics out there. You think if you eat this organic apple, it's going to produce life in you. Well, this is the tree that truly did produce fruit that produced life. So the tree of life is the identity object of identification. Open up the PDF if you're listening. And these diagrams are there for you to see. What it equaled was Adam and Eve who were born but naked. Not a stitch of clothing. There were no caveman bats. There were no caveman clothing. There was no sandals. They were born perfect. It says in Genesis 2, 24 and 25 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, how in the world could they become one flesh if there's two of them? Of course, those of you who know your Bibles know that woman was taken out of Adam And that rib was formed into his flesh. Well, Adam was created from God. So Eve had the identity of Adam. That's why when we get married, we bear the name of the man. Well, that's all changing. Because who's man? Who's woman? Yeah, he's got that all twisted up. So there were not two. There's no individual rights. There's no 50-50 relationship. She was to bear his identity. Adam's identity was the identity of his father. Thus the perfection of creation was in motion. And Satan's going, this is not going to stay this way. 
So God, seed of life, creation, flesh of my flesh. What a beautiful picture. Thank you, Lord. Well, Satan comes along. This is our next diagram. It's called Seed of Sin Needs Womb of Deception. So, even though Satan doesn't look like this, I mean, when you type in Google on, I mean, devil in Google, all you get is this guy. He was far more attractive than this red devil. But, the original identity thief also had a tree that he was captain of. Kind of like Captain Book. Tree of knowledge, words, studying, devotionalizing, listening to people, listening to people, listening to people. So if you look at the strategic plan that Satan had going here, you'd understand why this was so significant for him to get people to stop hearing God and begin to hear only the voices that are in their head. And then the voices that are around them. So the fruit of the tree of knowledge had two little seeds in it. One was a seed of good. The other one was a seed of evil. For the tree was the tree of good and evil. So to get Eve to eat from this fruit had to come into play. Identity, object of replacement. Oh, God uses fruit, I'll use fruit. You know, you just make it look-alike. And the most demonic look-alike we have in the world today is Christian versus indwelt. Well done, Satan. But your day's coming. So the identity thief steals Eve's identity in the us. The egg, that's what this is, a real picture of an egg within a woman, became the womb of deception. And it was not Adam who was, what's the word? Deceived. deceived. But the woman being deceived, fell into sin. That doesn't make her worse than Adam. In fact, you'll discover by reading Genesis, Adam had to bear the consequences of her sin and his. And that is the role of one flesh. The man is to carry the ramifications of the decisions that his wife makes. It's called protection. Christ does it with us every day. That deception, that seed, got inside Eve. Well, Satan knew how this whole thing was going to come about because they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. 
So Lucifer, seed of Satan, or Satan being in the damned fruit, Eve eats the seed, the womb of deception begins. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is identity thief as as being successful, the birth of replaced identity. Now you have Adam. This is after they both have fallen, as we call it. You have Adam and this seed of sin that is now inside him, this damned seed, which he probably referred to often as that damned seed. I would. And this seed, the sperm, contained this condemnation, this, this sin that is in us, that is not us. And sin travels through the seed, as Paul said, and Jesus said, and other passages referring to it. It goes into the egg, and that sin is placed within that egg, and begins to be a part of the formation of that child. So every cell that is being developed is damned. Then, when the children are born, and they start seeing this destructive behavior, and as they began to be fruitful and multiply... That sin kept traveling by the seed of man generation after generation after generation until you're sitting here today. So under Adam we have 1 Corinthians says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all may live. Seed of righteousness. In 1 Timothy 2.14 it says, And it was not Adam who was first deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, which is guilt and sin. And then over here under the boys fighting, therefore just as though one man's sin seed entered into the world, and death through sin seed, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. So you have Adam... Sin entered the seed, seed entered Eve, and sin entered all man. That's how simple this is. And it explains the deception of the greatest demonic religion in the entire world, and it's not you Muslim people. There's a church out there that has made Mary holy because they don't get this. Because they got twisted up early on in their development of Christ in the church because they didn't understand how the identity thief works. That is a 602, 292, 2982. Anyone who is part of the Catholic Church, I would love to give you some material to read, scriptures to pray over, to show you You are not in a good place. These cans here I've used for years. Jane was sharing with Jess and I earlier of when she remembered using it one time at a conference. It was used almost in all of our conferences. 
And the good Lord reminded me of that again this week, and so I want to use it as an example. The PDF shows us that we have the identity thief to the left, which equals this crushed, kind of crushed can, which equals Satan's goal of almost a complete compressed crushed can. This minimally crushed can is you at birth. This completely compressed crushed can is Satan's goal for you while you're on the earth. The deception that is out there for quite a few denominations is that children are born able to go to heaven. Well, I wonder why Satan's using abortions. Hmm. Are they born perfect? That would make them Christ. He was the only one, the first and the last, that has ever come out of a womb of deception. Perfect. No sin. So if your view of children being born look like a perfect, undented can, then you yourself are being deceived by the identity thief. But see, this is kind of how we're born. Few dents. Now, if a baby dies at six months, does the baby go to hell? That's God's call. I doubt it. There's so much that happens between death and heaven that we do not understand. So I'm not advocating that children that do not have understanding of sin and conversion, that they go to hell. That's God's call. But I'm here to tell you, they're not born perfect. They're not born with a ticket to go to heaven. Now once they're born and they have a few dents in them, some are born deformed, some are born rage children, some are raged children, they're finding out now in science, some of them are raged children in the womb. There's something wrong with them. So we try to make this a physical problem. Really? Once they come out and they have a few dents on them, Satan says, now it's time for my overt plan. And he starts pounding away, you stupid kid. You're never going to amount to anything. You are ugly. Why did God give me you? You're deformed. You're And the constant, constant, constant bashing that Satan does in his identity thievery. Ident. And after a while... Depends on how aggressive the enemy is in your childhood. He was quite aggressive in mine. You're like this before you hit ten. Some aren't compressed and crushed and perplexed until they're adults. Some have such comfortable lives that they do such an incredible job of avoiding pain and embarrassment 
that by the time they die as adults, they look like the metal can. We call them spoiled children. They don't know how to handle stress and persecution and distresses and difficulty because they have avoided them. Then there's others that seem to have this unbelievable way of dealing with rejection and persecution and distress because they've been crushed. But see, through salvation, something very unique happens. I didn't mean to rip it off. They just don't make cans the way they used to. So if you could imagine that that can looks like this one now. It's got dents in it, and from the life of Christ from within, he starts popping these dents outward. But you see, day day after day, Samson being born all over again or something. But day after day, the Life of Christ is pushing outward through you. When you die, you're going to have scars and wrinkles and creases and you're going to look like you've been through a war. But you know what? If I was to put living water in this vessel, I'm going to get the full meal deal, right? Whatever that vessel is, 12 fluid ounces. That's southern ounces. And... This guy here that was crushed and perplexed, I'm going to get a couple shot glasses full. But see, as Christ comes and lives inside this broken, frail vessel, this vessel that needs redemption, that looks like it's damned, and starts moving from the inside out, yeah, it's going to have a lot of dents and scars, but I'm telling you what, He can feed a lot of people living water through that vessel. So allowing the life of Christ to pop out your dents is the answer, which is where we're starting in our next message. That is the answer. So when we answer the question like, what or who do we base our identity on? A lot of people, it's the childhood rejection. It's performance-based Christianity. That's all you churchy people that love sitting in your pews when you and I both know you didn't like it. Or the image that you've created for yourself. One of my spiritual sons was telling me a story of a superstar and he was doing the commercial for her, which was for someone else. Seen her on television, you know, tons of times or whatever, and he meets this superstar. It's his client. He said, I could hardly look at her face because she was so fake. It was almost like a plastic mold on her face. She made that. She made that. She created that image for herself. Some are able to keep that mask on there until they die. Some just can't do it. Something just goes wrong. 
Or some people just look in the mirror and say, you are just ugly. You're fat, you're skinny, you're this, you're that. Anything will work. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about fat. He doesn't care about skinny. He doesn't care. It's the image he needs damaged. He hates hearing that we are created in the image which is identity of the living God. He hates that. So maybe you can be honest and say that it is the image of Satan which is anything and everything that is not formed, expelled, or released from the image of Christ in you. Here's our identity statement for today. The identity thief starts the stealing of your identity at conception. Once born, he begins his overt tactics of denting or impacting your life with self-image-based rejection or exaggerated views of self, which is classified as arrogance and pride. Both angles of deception benefit the identity thief. They project the graven image of Satan. The result is very simple. Satanism or true indwelt Christianity. All of you who are Christ followers are Satanists. If you do not have Christ living inside you, you are not reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. You're replicating it. Where do you think that came from? What do you think he's doing in the end times? He is going to replicate every finite detail he possibly knows about Jesus Christ and will wear it like clothing like a plastic mask and he will deceive the many and few will buy into it. Who are those few? I'm one of them. I know who I am. You see, that means we have to talk about that problem. Because a lot of you do know who you are in Christ. You know you're indwelt. But there's a problem still. And that's why this is an awesome series. Because we are taking the robe off of his tactics of stealing the identity from God's precious indwelt children. So looking at your PDF, there's a list of nine things there that you can practically do if you need to get this Christ follower thing taken care of and truly become indwelt. I'd, I'd probably get that taken care of. Don't forget to download the PDF message. Look up the scriptures that you see mentioned in the uh, message. Read and pray through those verses. Ask the Lord to make them experiential for you. Find one person this week and give this truth away. If you don't, you're turning the faucet off, as most of you do. Invite that person to church, or minimally to listen to a podcast that teaches truth. 
Not just ours. Pray each morning before your feet hit the floor that God would make you alert to the ways that the identity thief is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. He's in the mood. Contact us at IOMAmerica 602-292-2982 or you can check out our website at www.iomamerica.org Send me a personal email at drfinney at iomamerica.org That's D-R-P-H-I-N-N-E-Y at iomamerica.org These messages are on YouTube. You just type in your YouTube search bar, Dr. Finney, and it'll take you right to our channel. Or sermon.net. You can actually download the app and have our messages available to you anytime you want to listen to them. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.